Welcome to Hauser Community Church Online. Let's join Pastor as the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and unpacks the Word of God for us. After the message, we'll tell you how to contact us. All right, kiddos, you are released. The rest of you, go ahead and turn to Acts. If you don't have a Bible, there's one around you. If you need me to get up and get you a Bible like I just did my wife, I will also do that. If you don't have one at all, take the one home in front of you or go to Lost and Found and find one that you like better. Oh, good morning, church. I'm pretty confident that if I took a poll this morning, a good majority of us in here would say, uh, we should obey the Great Commission. I, I think, I'm not going to take the poll, don't worry. So if you don't believe that, definitely don't raise your hand. Uh, but I believe we would, we would agree that we should go, we should make disciples, we should baptize, we should teach all that Jesus commanded. Like that's, We know that we should be doing that. So we should ask the question then, why... Is it not happening? Why do we not do that? Why, what stops us from doing that? And I think our text this morning is going to reveal three reasons why we struggle with participating in the Great Commission. Either we're not hearing the Lord, which is possible. We're not confident in sharing the gospel message. We just don't feel like we could do that. Or we're just not being obedient. So one of the three things, and I don't want you to sit here this morning and nod in agreement and then leave and have nothing to do with this sermon at all. I know, you know, this is wonderful news. We spent, we spent three years almost in, in Luke talking about how wonderful this news is. I know you want to share that. I know you're excited about sharing it. I know that you know that we participate in building the kingdom of God when we're obedient to the Great Commission. So our text is going to help us this morning, and we're going to first look at hearing the Lord. So if you will, look at the text with me, looking at verse 26 to begin. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, we're just going to stop there. How does God speak to his people? Immediately, we come to this text, and an angel says something to Philip. We jumped to verse 29. The Spirit says something to Philip. So immediately, we know that God sends divine messengers to speak to his people. In Acts, the angel or an angel of the Lord is prominent all throughout the book of Acts. It's a constant reminder all throughout the book of Acts that God is intimately involved in building his church. He sends his messengers. He sends the Holy Spirit. He is building his church. We see he frees the disciples from prison in Acts 5.19. During the night, an angel of the Lord opens the prison doors and brings them out. We see he speaks to Gentiles. Uh, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God came to him and said to him, Cornelius, who is a Roman. We see in verse 22, they said, Cornelius, 
a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who was well-spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you, to come to this ho- his house and to hear what you had to say. He sends Paul out. This very night, Paul says, where I stood, there stood before me an angel of God whom I belong and whom I worship. He guides Paul. So we see that angels are prominent in Acts, and, and the Lord is, is using them to build his church. And we also see that the Holy Spirit is working in a major way in Acts. He shows up in Acts 2 like he's never shown up before. He's, he's indwelling in, in the believers. He guides Philip in verse 29. He says to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So we need to ask, does the Lord still speak that way? Does the Lord still speak supernaturally? Yeah, of course he does. Having an angel appear to you is not super normative. It's not the normal thing. There's only a few times in the Bible, actually there's a lot of times in the Bible, but a few people in the Bible that receive direction, and it's always for a very important purpose. Abraham sees an angel when uh, Sarah is about to give birth to Isaac. Elijah and Elisha for calling Israel to repentance. Uh, An angel appears to Gideon so that he works to deliver Israel. Daniel receives visions. Mary and Joseph before she has Jesus. Cornelius so that the, the Gentiles can hear the word of the Lord. John as he writes Revelation. But if you're thinking, I've never seen an angel... I've never experienced this. You are in company with about 99% of believers. But we can't be quick to say that doesn't happen anymore. Hebrews 1.14 says, Are angels not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who, are inherit, who will or are to inherit salvation? I know several stories of people who say, I've seen, I've encountered angelic beings and they were brought back to the faith or or have seen the faith or came to know the faith. We had a missionary who came here It said an angel appeared to some people in a different country. They said, go to this church and ask about a man named Jesus Christ. So I can't stand here and say, no, that doesn't happen But I can stay here and say it's not normal. It's not normative. It's not how he normally operates. In fact, we see in Acts the way God supernaturally operates is through his Holy Spirit. He primarily guides his people through the Holy Spirit. He teaches us all that Jesus commanded. He nudges us to feel, uh, I need to pray for someone right now. I need to call someone. I need to text someone. They are, they are, I haven't seen them in a while. Leads us to share the gospel with a complete stranger. Gives us the ability to share the gospel with a complete stranger. What you need to know this morning, though, is the Lord is intimately involved in building his church and guiding his people. He doesn't say, go and teach and good luck. We'll see how you do when I return. He says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm sending my spirit to help you do this. 
The Lord has spoken. He keeps speaking. He will always speak. So we have to open our ears to hear. So he first speaks supernaturally. The Lord also speaks to his people through the word. Look back at the text. Verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go to the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he arose, he rose and went. There was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He came, he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So the Lord speaks supernaturally, but he speaks also through his word. Someone once said, do not say that God is silent with your Bible closed. The written word is the primary way in which God speaks to his people. This is why the scriptures have been so precious to the saints all throughout the ages. We desire, we know this is how the Lord speaks. Paul says, all scriptures breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. The Lord thought it was sufficient to raise up godly men to write down his word so that we might know, church, a peace of the mind of God. We might know who he is. We might know what he has done, what he is doing, what he is going to do, what he promises us. So that we might know who we are and what he calls us to do. The Lord speaks to his people through his word. So if you want to hear his voice, if you want to hear the Lord speaking to you, get in the word and stay in the word until you hear him. The Lord Lord also speaks through his people. Look at verse 30. So Philip ran... To him, the Ethiopian, he heard him reading uh, Isaiah, the prophet, and he said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Church, being with other believers, <laughs> it's not a burden or something you need to add to your calendar, something else to add onto your plate. It's, it's the grace of God to be able to meet and gather with the saints around us. We need one-on-one discipleship. I need to wrestle through text with my brothers and sisters. I need Sunday morning to come and hear the word of God proclaimed. We need small groups. We need to meet and, and say, what does this mean? And, and talk about not what we feel, That doesn't really matter, but what the word says. So we ask this question. So the question then is, if God does hear, or God does speak, he does hear also, but if he does speak to us, and and we can hear him, he speaks supernaturally, he speaks through his word, he speaks through his people, how do we prepare ourselves to hear him? Look at Philip. 
Acts 6.3, remember the apostles say, brothers, pick out from among yourselves seven random men. It doesn't matter. No, seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. It doesn't, the, the duty was feeding the widows, but he says, the people that are hearing from me already, the people that are of good repute, they're prepared to hear the Lord through their godly living. The people who are full of the Spirit, they're prepared to hear the Lord by this constant living and dependence on the movement and the speaking of the Spirit. They're full of wisdom. They're prepared to hear God because they're already taking the Word of God and applying it to their lives. They're living it out. That's what wisdom is. It's knowledge applied to your life. He's full of faith. Spurgeon says, he asked the question, what is faith? Well, faith, he says, is knowledge plus belief plus trust. So we prepare to hear the Lord by knowing the Lord, knowing his word, believing his word, and trusting his word. And that's how we're full of faith. That's how we're hearing the word of God. Look at the Ethiopian. We see in the text, he was coming back from Jerusalem where he was worshiping, verse 27. We prepare ourselves to hear the word of God by living a life of worship, not just being here on Sunday morning, not just coming in and saying, I've worshiped this week, but spending time in prayer constantly by singing songs all the time, by being in meditation, by being silent every once in a while and listening to what God has to say in rejoicing and thanksgiving. This is, this is how we worship. And as we worship, we're preparing ourselves to hear the word of God. We also see the Ethiopian was reading the prophet Isaiah. Again, you have to be in the word of God to hear the Lord speak. And he also asked questions. He says, Philip asked him, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how can I unless somebody guides me? I need help. He's humble. He, he humbles himself and says, how can I understand this? I have no idea who, is he, who he's talking about, what's going on in this passage. Can you guide me? We have to ask questions of the text. We have to ask, what does this mean? But if I come to the text, if I come to the Bible and I read the Word of God, sometimes we forget that when we're reading the Bible, this is the Word of God, we think, wow, that is just really dry. But if I come to it and I think, wow, that's really dry, and I don't go back to it, I don't think about it, I don't try to understand it, I've missed an opportunity to hear the Word of God. He speaks in every book. All scripture is God-breathed. It's all important. Some of it's incredibly difficult to understand. You must also primarily pray if you're going to prepare your heart to hear the word, pray for the spirit to guide you. This is David does in the short Psalm 119. Open my eyes that I may behold the wondrous things out of your law. This whole psalm, he's crying out to God, teach me, 
Show me. Help me. The Bible is a supernatural book from a supernatural God, and we need supernatural help to understand it. We have to go to him and say, help me. So then what causes us not to hear? I'll just give you a short list. John 12, 40. He's blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. At least they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. We, we cannot hear because we have hard hearts. Our, our hearts are hardened against the Lord. It's hardened against his word, hardened against what he's showing us. Ezekiel says, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house, who have eyes to see, but see not, who have ears to hear, but hear not, for they are a rebellious house. You cannot hear the Lord if you're constantly rebelling against him. Jeremiah, he says, hear this, O foolish and senseless people who have eyes but see not, who have ears but hear not, do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do you not tremble before me? And that's a, uh, it's not a, um, do you actually? It's a rhetorical question. They don't fear him. So if we don't fear the Lord, if we don't desire to please him, we're not going to hear him. Acts 28 From morning till evening, Paul expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. We don't hear because of unbelief. And finally, and even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. If you can't hear the word of the the Lord, you might be blinded by the God of this world. Do you see these in your life? You say, I've read and read and read, and I get nothing back. I don't even know if I believe this. But this morning, think, but maybe repent and turn to Jesus. Confess your sin. I've created a barrier between you and me, Lord. I, I cannot hear you because of all of these things. And you can repent and turn away from them and turn toward Jesus Christ this morning. Remove from your life the things that are drowning out his voice and increase the things that amplify his voice. Church, seek The Lord, his word is life. So hearing the Lord, it feeds directly into knowing his story. Look at the text. So Philip, verse 30, he ran to him, the Ethiopian. He heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet. He said, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And the passage of scripture that he was reading is this. It's from Isaiah 53, if you're curious. 
It says, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. To know his story, we have to understand first the desire of the Lord. We have to understand his desire. He says in 1 Timothy, it's, this is good, it's, it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved, to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is his desire. How that plays out in belief and unbelief and saved and not saved, that's for the Lord whose ways are higher than our ways, whose, whose knowledge, whose thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He says in Deuteronomy, the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed belong to us and your children forever, that we may do all the words in his law. But we know the story of redemption. We understand the Lord's desire is to save people. Therefore, we preach Christ to everyone, everyone we can, because that's his desire. And to begin doing this, we need to understand we're presenting the gospel to individuals. Now, if you look at the text, and you look at verse 27, the Greek is very emphatic here. He places a lot of emphasis on this Ethiopian. There was an Ethiopian. This is how you would read it in Greek. An Ethiopian. He was a eunuch. A court official of Candace. The queen of the Ethiopians who is in charge of her treasure. He's saying he's a Gentile. He's a eunuch who can't even go into the temple of God. He's rich. He's, he's part of the court of Gentiles. But Philip doesn't dehumanize him when he sees him by saying, oh, he's one of the Gentiles. He's one of those Gentile sinners. He's one of those rich jerks. He's one of those hopeless eunuchs. I'm not going to go to that guy. He only saw this man as someone who could be part of the kingdom of God, and he wanted to tell him about Jesus Christ. Church, we have to see the world around us as, as fields ripe for the harvest. You and I are called. We're called to connect with people whom the Lord has placed in our path, in our lives, regardless if they're different than us, regardless if they think differently or dress differently or support causes that we do not support. He says, I've put them in your life. You need to tell them of my faithfulness. We are to see before us individuals created in God's image whom he desires to be saved but we dehumanize people. We, we make them less than human when we throw them into groups. We say, oh, they're just one of those right-wing or left-wing fanatics. Oh, they're just one of those pot smokers or they're just one of those drunks or they're just one of those homeless people. And when we do that, 
in our minds were weaseling out of sharing the gospel with them. If I can only see someone as a label, if I can only just label you, then I, then I don't see you as creating the image of God or someone who needs Jesus, then I don't have to share the gospel with you, which is wrong. But when we see the individual, and we don't lump them into these groups, we start seeing their needs. What do they actually need? Look at the text, verse 31. He says, how can I, unless someone guides me, understand this text? He needed to understand the word. He needed to understand the gospel. You see, being a eunuch, this man could not enter the temple. He could not make sacrifices for his sins. Being, being a Gentile, he was removed from the covenant people. Deuteronomy 23, 1, this is the NIV. I didn't want to quote the ESV. If you want to check that out, you can. But it says of the eunuch, no one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. He was in desperate need of a savior. He had no hope. He was, he was still going to the sanctuary. Well, he wasn't going to the temple. He was probably going to a synagogue and hearing the word of God and, and probably hoping if there, there's some way I could become a believer, some way the Lord can save me. You see, we, not, we don't only need to know people are sinners and they need Jesus. We, we know that. We need to know how people's stories connect with the gospel. What do they need? What are they looking for? We know they need Jesus. What are they looking for? And how do we show them that Jesus is who they're actually looking for? We don't need drive-by or prepackaged evangelism. We need people to we need to enter into their story. There's a place for street evangelism. There's a place for tracts. There's a place for a broad call to return, to turn to Jesus. But the majority of evangelism is done one on one. It's done in relationships with individuals in your life. People I will never see, who will never accept into this building and hear the call to come to Jesus. We have to enter into people's lives. We need to know their stories. We need to know them. And we need to be able to connect their stories with the gospel. But to be able to do this, we have to have an understanding of the story of redemption. I have to know the gospel. Look at the text. Verse 32. Now the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to him, said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this about himself or someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth and began with scripture, beginning with this scripture, told him the good news of Jesus. 
He meets the eunuch where he is, where he's reading, and he's able to reveal to him that this is talking about Jesus. This passage is talking about the man who died not too long ago outside of Jerusalem, just as Jesus does to those on the road to Emmaus. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things that concerned himself. We need to know, first and foremost, all of Scripture is flowing to and flows from Jesus Christ. He is the focus of Scripture. He is the reason. He is salvation. Apart from him, there is no salvation. If Jesus isn't inserted into this history timeline, all of this does not matter. So Philip starts with Isaiah 53, and he says, that's Jesus That's who he is. He's the Messiah. He's the one that we've been hoping for. He's the one that you're reading about. He is your hope. And he could jump from Isaiah 53 to Isaiah 56, and he could reveal to this eunuch, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. He's a foreigner. Let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. He could reveal to this eunuch who had no hope outside of Jesus Christ and say, Jesus Christ is your hope. He's the one that call, you can be called a son of God. You can come to him and receive an everlasting name. You are part of his people because of him. You had no hope before him, but now you have a great hope. He can continue on. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. Everyone who keeps Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all people. This man who could not bring sacrifice. This man who had no hope for his sins being paid for. Philip could say, in Jesus Christ, you can bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices and they are accepted. Actually, he does it for you. He sacrifices himself so that you are cleansed from your sin. And the Lord God will gather the outcasts of Israel and declare, I will gather yet others to him besides those who are already gathered. He says, in Jesus, you're a covenant person. You who were not a people are now a people. Do you know the story of redemption? Do you know the story and how you can share that story? Can you start at Isaiah 53 and share the gospel. Can you start at that question who says, someone brings to you and says, you know what? This says that God is cruel and hateful in the Old Testament. Can you take that scripture and tell them the story of redemption?
That's the aim of our study on Sunday nights. I want, to know, I want you to know the story of redemption. But if you can't make it on a Sunday night, I get it. Get in a small group. Get to Sunday school. Get to men's Bible study on Sunday morning, Saturday morning. Get to women's study on Thursday nights. Learn the story of redemption so you can share it with people. Here's a really practical thing you could do. Sit down and write out the story of redemption from Genesis to Revelation. I'm not going to tell you any more. What does that look like? My type A people are like, well, okay, give me some parameters. What size font you want? <laughs> you can turn your papers in. I'll grade them. Uh, <clears throat> write out the story. Of, what does he mean? What is the story of redemption? I don't even know what that means, Greg. Write that down. I don't even know what that means, Greg. If you can't write that down, start learning how to write it. Start asking questions. I have books and books and books you can borrow. Well, I'll probably buy you a book. I don't want you to borrow mine. No, I'm kidding. I would love to help you with that. Because I want you to know the story of redemption, not only for yourself, and not only for your confidence and your salvation in Jesus Christ alone, but so that you can build his kingdom. You can show that to people around you and say, let me tell you of Jesus Christ. So we need to hear God's calling, we need to know him, and then we gotta actually obey him. We need to obey his commission. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them all that I have commanded you. And Lord, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He, he doesn't say, that's only for you guys. Don't share that with anybody else. It's for all of us. And we're to do this even when it doesn't make sense. Okay, so let's look at verse 26. So the angel of the Lord says to Philip, rise and go to the south I lost it. Half of you, Nikki's like, I ain't going to the south. It's too hot down there. <laughs> Rise and go to the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Okay, and then we just fly past this next phrase. This is a desert place. <laughs> go to the middle of nowhere, he says. You just walk down that road. That's all I'm going to tell you. This is a desert place. I can't imagine what Philip in his mind is thinking when the Lord says, go on that road, that's a desert place. He's probably thinking, I got a long time to pray. I'm not going to run into anybody. But he went, verse 27. He arose, he rose and went. He, he actually did it. He didn't say, are you kidding me? There's nothing down there. He just did it. Are you willing to go? Even if it doesn't make sense, are you willing to go? Maybe you work with zero believers. Are you willing to go and be faithful? Maybe this means your family who has rejected Jesus for, <clears throat> for years. Are you willing to go? You may be thinking, well, it's not going to matter. The Lord can turn any heart around. Maybe this is calling into ministry. Maybe this is a calling to be a missionary or a pastor or something scary like children's ministry. <laughs> Regardless of what God is calling you to do, it doesn't make sense, Lord. 
Settle it in your mind. I'm going to be obedient. Even if it doesn't make sense, I'm going to say, here I am, Lord. Send me. And even if the person doesn't make sense, he arose, verse 27. There was an Ethiopian in the middle of nowhere. It doesn't say that, but it's implied. An Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official. Like, it doesn't make sense for me to talk to this guy. You may be called to somebody that doesn't make sense at all to you. Someone who has a different political stance. Someone who has a different social status. Someone who identifies as something you don't even understand what that means. An atheist. An agnostic. A Muslim. A Hindu. A Buddhist. I don't know, Lord. But I'm going to do it. Regardless of who you're called to, take time in your heart to settle beforehand that if the Lord puts someone in my path, I'm going to share Jesus with them. And then go. Philip rose and went. And we, we oftentimes don't get the whole picture. God says, go to Abraham. Where? I'll show you. Just go. To Philip, go on this road to the desert place. It doesn't make sense. Okay, I'll go. His mission was revealed to him one step at a time. This is the direction you need to go. Then, oh, go to that Ethiopian right there and, and talk to him. Decide in your mind and in your heart, I'm going to be faithful one step at a time. It's baby steps. Maybe you've seen a movie. He talks about baby steps, the elevator. Baby steps, one step at a time. So in your heart, you say, okay, Lord, I believe you're calling me to live out my belief at work. Do that. Start there. Then someone starts asking questions. Okay, Lord, I need help. I don't have these answers. I need you to guide me, give me wisdom, and have those conversations. Then they say, can you come have coffee and tell me more about what you're talking about, about this Jesus? And you go and you tell them the gospel. But if you never take that first step, if you never decide I'm going to live for Christ at work, the rest of it never happens. You never get started at being obedient. The first step in the Great Commission is go. Don't stand here on this mountain looking at me, the Savior who is risen from the dead and is really awesome. He had to leave so that they would go. Take one step at a time. I get it. I know it's hard. I've worked with some really rough people. One step at a time. And trust God. I know you'll guide me. I know you'll prepare me. I know you'll give me words. And also teach like Philip does in this text. It doesn't mean you have to know all the answers before you start teaching. Trust me. I don't know all the answers. It means you know how to find them. You know how to connect people with people who know them. It means that you're in the word. It means you're among other believers and pastors and small groups. And you, you can push people to understand and to learn. But teaching is part of discipleship. It's part of what we do. Too often the church says, yes, we're glad you believe in Jesus. Good luck with that. 
We often wonder, why are Christians leaving the churches in droves? Why are churches shutting their doors down every week? Why is that happening? It's because many are not discipling and not being discipled. If you're not discipling someone, if you're not being discipled, you're being disobedient to the Great Commission. And you might be thinking, I can't disciple, I'm a mess. Are you kidding me? I can't, I don't understand how to do anything. I fail daily. I'm going to tell you a secret. We're all a mess. Teach others to come to Jesus when they fail. Teach others when they struggle, when they fall, what it looks like to repent. One of the greatest steps, I think, that could be made in churches and discipleship is showing each other what it looks like to repent. Going to someone and saying, I really messed up. I really messed up. Will you go to Jesus with me? Thank you for joining us at Hauser Community Church Online. Check back next week for the next unpacking of the Word of God. Please feel free to contact us with any questions you might have about the message or for pastor at area code 541-756-2591 or email us at pray at hauserchurch.org. Again, that's P-R-A-Y at H-A-U-S-E-R-C-H-U-R-C-H dot O-R-G. Our address is 69411 Wildwood Road, North Bend, Oregon. 97459. Remember, if you're seeking the truth, it will set you free. And that truth is Jesus Christ.